You're listening to Omaha Birth and Babies Podcast, Episode 2, where we talk all things VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, with Mid-City Midwife, Amanda Lura. Hi there, and welcome to the Omaha Birth and Babies Podcast Show. We are your hosts. I'm Andrea Showers. And I'm Shannon Barnett. We have been in the birth and postpartum industry since the beginning of 2015. Together, we have built a thriving birth and postpartum doula agency in Omaha, Nebraska. We are blessed to have a phenomenal team of doulas who offer professional and personalized care to each of our clients. We are so happy you are joining us on this podcast adventure. While listening to this podcast, you will hear stories and education surrounding all things fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, newborn, parenthood, and more. We will also have many experts and professionals that will be joining us as we dig deep into all the topics expecting and new parents want to know. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome back. We're going to be having a guest speaker with us today, Amanda Lura from Mid-City Midwives. Um, We are super excited to have her. She's (laughs) such an amazing human being and a really close friend of ours. Um, And she is going to introduce herself, um, but I cannot wait for you to get to know her a little bit better and hear all of the amazing things that she knows. Um, So... Tell us that, I mean, I already introduced you, but like, so you, (laughs) (laughs) so you are a midwife with Mid-City OBGYN Mm -hmm. and how long have you been doing that? So I have been a midwife since 2013. I started practicing in 2014 because I had a baby the same year I graduated. So I took a little bit of time. (laughs) Yes. And then, um, got a job. Actually, we started out at Methodist and then came to Mid-City in 2000 and oh my gosh, has it been 2015, November of 15. Nice. Yeah. So six years almost. Yeah. Nice. And you were a labor and delivery nurse before, right? Uh-huh. I did labor and delivery for 11 years before I went back to midwifery school. Wow. And I did a year, My I started out, um, actually I was a doula before I was yeah. a nurse, before I was a midwife. <laughs> Um, and then I went to nursing school and started, I did a year in, um, postpartum gynecology and then was like, okay, I need to get over to labor and delivery. So then I did, um, one year there and then there were other 10 years were labor and delivery. That's awesome. Yeah. You've been doing this a long time. Yes. Long time for sure. And so Amanda was also my midwife with my second one. Well, the Mm -hmm. mid city was so exciting. Glad to have you on. Thank you. So when you were a labor and delivery nurse, did you catch babies on accident before you actually became a midwife? Oh, yes. I mean, there was a couple of times where the doctor, there's no way the doctor was going to make it. Yeah. But the closer I got to midwifery, like actually being a midwife of my own, the more like initially when you're a, a nurse, first of all, you're, you're worried about the wrath that you're going to catch from whoever missed it. Dun, dun, dun. But, yes. Second of all, it's a little scary. It's a little frightening when you're like, God, I don't really know what I'm doing, but you've seen so many, it just, and when babies come that fast, they, it's very easy. Um, but the closer I got to midwifery school, the more I was like, Oh, maybe this baby will just come out before somebody gets here. (laughs) Obviously never on purpose, but it it was fun for sure. You could always cross your fingers and hope. (laughs) Yeah. Like it might just come out before they get here. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. So I caught quite a few babies before I was a midwife. So today we're going to be talking about vaginal births after cesareans. Mm -hmm. Um, 
tell us why this topic may be like extra special to you out of your other two partners. Yes. Um, so I have three kiddos, um, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost two-year-old. And my first baby, um, beautiful pregnancy, 41 weeks, started to get higher blood pressure, so decided to um, induce and had a beautiful 12-hour induction pushed for 15 minutes, nine pounds, six ounces, like beautiful. So my second, God bless her, (laughs) um, (laughs) to breach position. So butt down, head up at 39 weeks and five days. So two days before her due date. Oh my goodness. And I don't have small children. So we tried everything. I tried everything in my power to get her to flip back around, Mm -hmm. including um, an external cephalic version Mm -hmm. um, in the hospital. And that was not successful. So um, because of that, I had a C-section with her. Okay. Um, Cue baby number three. Uh, (laughs) We, uh, my goal was a vaginal birth after a cesarean or a VBAC. Actually, a VBAC is a successful person who's tried a um, vaginal birth after a cesarean. A TOLAC is the term that we use. So Mm. trial of labor after a cesarean is what you are initially until you're successful. And then you had a successful VBAC or vaginal birth after a cesarean. I getcha. Yeah. So like a um, midwife to like a license certified, like you were it midwife. (laughs) Yes. Um, so I was obviously for sure on board with attempting a TOLAC with him. Um, he had other plans and decided (laughs) to present head down with a foot first. And so So a head mm -hmm. with a little foot right above the head. Yes. All righty. Coming. Yes. Through the cervix kind of just like, Hey, but first, but not breach, essentially, oh, okay. which in the 16 years at the time that I'd been doing this, I had never seen. So super rare. I mean, babies can breach actually only 3% of the time, but babies do come breach. Um, this kiddo decided to come head down with a foot. We say he's going to be like a good place kicker someday. Yeah, like <laughs> super good at splits. Yeah. Like, like splits or something. That um, just sounds painful. Yes. <laughs> He is a pistol. Um, so <laughs> at nine centimeters, I decided to get an epidural and they tried to push his foot out of the way and we couldn't get it to go. So I had a repeat cesarean with him, mm-hmm. but um, would have a hundred percent been successful had I had a baby in the right position. Yeah. So VBAC is TOLAC is very near and dear to my heart. And I definitely am a huge advocate for mamas who want to try that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So- TOLAC trial of labor. So you are going to try to labor to have a vaginal birth. Correct. Okay. And then VBAC is you successfully achieved this vaginal birth. Yes, exactly right. I got you. Um, There are, and excuse me, people that do what's called a V2BAC. Yes. uh, Andrea herself, who's had two prior C-sections and up to have a vaginal birth for their, her, their third. Um, or have which a tolac for their successfully did what she did rock star yeah. um we as a group um midwives can do them we as a group do not do uh tolac after prior two prior sections um because we have trouble um getting some physician coverage and we have to have physician backup but there are a couple physicians in our office that do them so we yeah. refer Fabulous. often 
them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For those situations. That's awesome. Yeah. So then there are many different reasons a person would have an initial cesarean. Mm-hmm. Um, what's probably the most common, like, reason people have, like, their first cesarean? Is it usually breach? Yeah, I'd say fetal malposition. Yeah. Um, at least planned, for sure. For yeah. sure. I... um I will say that the other reasons that, you know, it could come across are fetal intolerance to labor. So the baby is just not tolerating labor no matter what we do. And that includes like standing you on your head. We've tried everything in in that power. We have seen it. (laughs) Get these babies to tolerate labor and sometimes they don't. Um, Occasionally that involves what's called a cord prolapse where the water breaks and the cord comes instead of a foot. The cord comes above the head. um, And so then as the uterus contracts around the baby, that cord is um, getting pinched and that blood flow is not getting to the baby. So that's an emergency situation where we have to run back to the operating room. Um, Very rare, very rare, but can be done, but does happen. Uh, The other reason is what is the controversial topic as to when it's legit and when it's not. Mm -hmm. And that is um, failure to progress or um, what they call CPD, where the pelvis is just not big enough to fit the baby. Now that is a legit thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say in my experience, the majority of the reason that that happens is because the baby is in a bad position or a malposition, Um, whether it be the head is sideways or sunny side up or Whatever it may be, the baby cannot <laughs> negate the pelvis and the bones of the pelvis, um, right. therefore stalling the labor. Yeah. So that is a reason that C-sections do occur. Mm-hmm. Um, in our in the world of midwifery, where we're very patient, <laughs> we don't see it as often. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You guys should, should just be called Job. You know, right. You just have all the patients in the world. <laughs> <laughs> So how, like with your guys's particular practice, do you have any idea like your VBAC success rate or like mm-hmm. TOLAC success? I, I guess would it be called VBAC success rate or TOLAC success or both? <laughs> VBAC rate, essentially. Okay, yeah. yeah. Right. Our C-section rate is incredibly low. Um, we're working on our 2020 stats right now. Um, for 2020, for like 2019, I believe our C-section rate was about 3%. So very, very low. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so for amazing. sure. Yeah. Because like the, what the national average is like 30? 30, 30, yeah, 30. I mean, yeah. I think they're shooting for under 30. That's like the goal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, national average is like 33% or something. Right yeah, which there. is like a third of pregnant people. Right. And end up in a cesarean. And so right. with you, if you had 100 people, three people out of a hundred and right here. Yeah. Like that's right. crazy. 33 people versus three people. So yes, yeah, that's pretty cool. Midwives. It is definitely their patience pays off <laughs> for sure. And, and, you know, we do take care of a low risk population, you know, yeah. so we do a lot of the people that, you know, have to have cesareans and don't get me wrong. C-sections have saved so many lives. Right. They are there for a reason. They are needed in the medical you know, world in the labor and delivery world, they're necessary. Right. right. Um, but a lot of people that require them also have medical conditions that 
right. do not allow them to have vaginal birth. So a lot of those patients before they even get to us have our, they can't see us because we just do low risk. So right. a lot of that weeds itself out. So yes, we work really hard on the patients that we have to get them a, su- a successful TOLAC or VBAC um, and a successful vaginal birth for someone who's never had a prior section. Right. But um, on, you know, on the behalf of my colleagues, there is reasons for C-sections and right. some of those patients don't see midwives. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely agree. Yeah. So, so when one is considering going the VBAC route yeah. or TOLAC, what, you know, what does that look like when you have that conversation with them and that's something that they're exploring? Mm-hmm. So we do a thorough like history, health history as to what were the causes for the primary C-section, what led up to that C-section, were there risk factors to, to the mother as to, you know, increasing her risk for a primary C-section. Um, those things would include gestational diabetes with a known kiddo of size, um, obesity for the mother, um, I'm trying to think what else is on that. Um, a fetal malposition. Um, we as midwives know that the research will show you that we do not increase your risk for C-section after 39 weeks with an induction, mm-hmm. but also know that mother nature is pretty smart in, in, in how that works. And so that's why we try the less is more approach. Yeah. Um, other risk factors for primary safe section. So we'll, if they come to us and say, Hey, I'm thinking about either a repeat C-section or a trial of labor, which is riskier. Uh, yeah. What, what's, what's it looking like for me? Yeah. So we get a thorough health history and go through why the primary section was done and then decide with them, you know, like, Hey, don't think you're a great candidate, which I will tell you that I've probably said never unless (laughs) unless I was there for the first labor Mm. and went through you know we we know that we tried everything the baby was in the right position you know all the things but even then I can't it's the craziest thing to see when you have someone who's the the kiddo's perfectly aligned it's not a big baby the mom's got no risk factors and we end up in c-section for some who knows what reason and then the next baby just bloop falls out. So everyone, I think, without risk factors deserves a chance. Yeah. And we'll sometimes prove, prove otherwise. We know the biggest risk with a, a primary or with a, a TOLAC is um, what's called a uterine rupture. And that is where the uterus along the old cesarean scar opens up. And that risk is less than 1%. Actually, I have found like 0.3%. Um, so super small risk. Um, is it it a different versus if it's a horizontal low lying mm -hmm. incision versus like the vertical, what used to be more popular, like 20, 30 years ago? Yeah. So that's a classical C-section where the actual uterine scar goes up and down. Now a woman can have an external skin scar up and down, but the scar on the uterus is transverse or going side to side. Those women can be back, but you have to know a hundred percent that that uterine scar is transverse. Um, Women that have a classical up and down scar in their uterus cannot, cannot have a trial of labor. It is not recommended. Yeah. 
Um, so we go through the health history, say, hey, I think you're a great candidate. In our office, we um, co-manage a patient that wants a trial of labor with an OB physician. Um, and in that labor or in that prenatal process, we have them meet with the OB physician twice throughout their pregnancy. So some one time about 26 weeks and then again about 37 weeks. So they know who they are. Yeah. Um, they've seen their face before. At Methodist Hospital, the requirement is, is that the OB be in-house when the patient is eight centimeters. Okay. So we call them when they're eight centimeters. They come in. They're not necessarily in the room, but they're there in case of an emergency. We know right. that women's risk for uterine rupture is at the onset of labor, the piece that we typically can't control, and when they begin pushing. Okay. So. That's why we have them in-house at eight yeah. centimeters so that they're available should something go south yeah. really rare at the, at the, when we start pushing. So yeah. that mean at the onset of labor is one of the more like riskier parts. Do, does a VBAC mom have to come in the moment that she starts contracting? No. Um, we are a little more we like them to come a little earlier than someone who doesn't have a uterine scar. Yeah. Um, just because we know that the biggest risk is that, that uterine rupture and right. time is of the essence. Like if we can get a baby out quickly, things go really smoothly, but if there's yeah. a big time lag, that's where the tragic events occur. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So yeah. if it means you're at the hospital a little bit longer, it's, it's worth it for us. Um, right. Just because we like to be monitoring you, the babe. And you do, with a TOLAC trial of labor, um, have to have continuous monitoring at Methodist Hospital. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to be, especially at Methodist, you don't have to be in bed. Right. right. You're not at all um, in the bed. I mean, you can be in the tub, you can be in the hall, you can be on the ball, you can be anywhere. We just have to keep those monitors around your tummy. Yeah. So you got um, movement options. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So after they've met with the physician, you know, that's kind of their role. Um, we like people to labor on their own, but just because you're, you've had a prior C-section does not mean that we can't, you can't be induced should the need arise. And I think a lot of my C-section mamas or my TOLAC mamas, I should say that had a prior C-section because are following an induction yeah. are very hesitant for that. Um, but I also know that even though we never induce you because of a larger kiddo, larger baby, that does play a role. So yeah. if we know that you had a nine and a half pounder last time mm -hmm. and now you have an eight pounder and it means that we do have to induce you a little bit earlier, we have to weigh those odds. And I think right. that we'll be more successful if we can potentially induce you just a little bit earlier to avoid the nine pound situation again. Yeah. yeah. Rewind a little bit though, right when you come to us initially, we're talking about Let's go lower carb. Let's keep your, right. your blood sugars under control. Even my non-diabetic people, me who did not have gestational diabetes with my first baby and had a nine and a half pounder, mm -hmm. obviously there's some insulin resistance there. Um, and so we know that if we can keep that baby a little bit smaller, your success is, is higher. Now, Shannon, did you, you didn't have gestational diabetes. Did you like the diagnosis? Uh, no, I was borderline gestational diabetic with Ava. How do, how, do you how do you define borderline? I was one point away. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's um, pretty border. Now, yeah. was, that on your, was that on your three-hour test or your one-hour? Um, so I failed my one-hour, like, drastically. My three-hour, I failed um, 
truth be told, and this was before I was a doula and knew better, I actually threw up during my three hour. And <laughs> not you didn't tell t- anyone? I didn't tell anyone. Uh, that's awesome. Um, you probably, you might have failed. She's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. that's a good shot. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I had a nine pound baby. I am five foot two and 105 pounds during <laughs> um, pre-pregnancy with her. So nine pounds, 22 and a half inches long. So, so yeah. there may be some underlying, there may, might've been some underlying um, blood sugar stuff. Yeah, there. yeah for sure. And, <laughs> for and sure. I didn't have gestational diabetes with any of my kids either. But I remember the first time that I showed you a picture of my kids and you're like, Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a sugary baby right there. <laughs> I like them sugary babies, but yes, they oh, do. Yeah. They do. We have to work harder to get them out for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do. Um, for sure. yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, so Andrea, your C-section though was not be correct me. Your first C-section was, why did they call that? Because um, labored, right? Yeah, I did. So I had an induction um, at 39 weeks and three whole days. And um, it started off with Pitocin um, and then went to uh, water breaking. Um, and it just didn't go past four centimeters. So my induction started like at eight or 9 a.m. Um, and then by 5 p.m. They just said like, hey, you're not progressing. But this was 13 years ago. And 13 years ago, four centimeters was the, if you reach four centimeters, you should be progressing at this active labor. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it was different back then. Now, you know, if that would happen to me now, I've never, ever as a doula in hundred plus births, ever seen an induction that quick. Like it, it just doesn't happen like that. You start at 8am and like by eight, a.m. the next day, you know, like that's when they're like more considering like, hmm, it just really hasn't done anything. You know, been trying this for a full 24 hours, not like an eight to five, you know, like workday. Um, but so that's why. And it she was abnormally large. Like, <laughs> like I have the chunky cheeks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous, like massively large face. Um, and it, like I was five, three and, you know, 120 pounds before I had her. And so, you know, I was, I was fairly small. Um, and I gained like 50 pounds, you know, with her and like my face, my face was swollen. (laughs) (laughs) Everything, everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so like when I, with my second C-section, I, um, didn't know, like I lived in council bluffs, Iowa and then there, they just don't have VBAC options, yeah. you know? Um, and so it was like you once a cesarean, it was always a cesarean, you know, mm-hmm. at that particular time and at that particular hospital. Um, and so I just did another cesarean. Like there was no like trial, you know, of anything. It was just at 39 weeks and three days yet again, I had just a repeat cesarean, which actually was a decent experience. Like mm-hmm. it was way different than a C-section going through any sort of induction or labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with my third, they told me that he was more on the normal size and I was trying really super hard to eat a little bit more mindfully just mm-hmm. because I did gain so much. I gained 50 pounds with each of them and they, one was nine, three and one was nine, two. So, <laughs> um, and so I tried a little bit harder to eat a little bit better. I wasn't 
as good as I am now. Um, but it was better. And they like, yeah, he's normal, you know, weight looking and he's not like as large as the other ones. And so literally that like phrase got me thinking I should try V back and they don't do that in council bless. And they're like, no, you're crazy. And so I went on to, I can, uh, which if you are a, you know, previous cesarean mom and you're wanting to, you know, TOLAC or have a successful VBAC, ICANN is a great place to go. It's a great support system um, for like wannabe VBAC moms or just cesarean moms, anybody that has to do with having that type of birth. Um, And they were like, you, you know, need to go see this provider and you should get a doula. And that's like where the entire, my entire career like bursted from was this one person. But so Someone like me, you had talked about a C-section um, or a VBAC risk would be like somewhere between like around 0.3 or, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. What about someone that has had multiple cesareans? Does it, increase- it does increase, but they actually still say it's about 1%. Um, some of the stuff I looked at said maybe 1.3, 1.7. It's still right around that 1% mark. Yeah. Not significantly. I was actually kind of I mean, it surprises you a little bit because no one does it and, right. and it, your risk is still really low. Yeah. Um, I think that too, it's easier to find these, you know, like it's either to have this kind of birth in a setting like Omaha or Council Bluffs and Council Bluffs now, obviously not then, yeah. um, because it does require in-house anesthesia Yeah. and an in-house physician. So yeah. Even if I have a situation before the eight centimeter mark, when my backup doctor is there, there's always an in-house physician to help. Right. And they're great at helping us if we need them. Now that once again, super rare, Um, but small town Nebraska doesn't have that capability. So you have to call the doctor in from their house and their bed. Yeah. And the anesthesiologist. And, and so those women are having to drive long, you know, long ways or just having to have repeat C-sections. Yeah. That's another thing that I don't think we really talked about too. And something that we take do on the intake is talk about that first birth, because there is sometimes a lot of trauma surrounding it. Yeah. And so if it's better for a mom to not potentially have to go through that again, that again. Right. some of them just want to repeat C-section yeah. and that is totally fine too. Right. Mental um, health is equally as important as your physical. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. Um, it, I mean, it's just something we have to like weigh and, and some women are like, Hey, if I come in, if I come in laboring, I want to try it. But mm-hmm. if I'm 41 weeks, I don't want to be induced. And right. by all means, I yeah. totally get it. Especially but if they I, had a rough induction before, which yeah. like led to this cesarean. I get it. Yeah. We've had clients that say that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, let's, no harm. Let's, yeah. let's do it. But if you way. come in six centimeters and you're like rocking it, then maybe we try, you know, yeah. and that's kind of like what we talk about, but I don't think there's enough brought to the fact that, you know, sometimes there is a lot of trauma surrounding cesarean birth and that is enough reason for people not to want to try a TOLAC. Right. right. Or <laughs> I want to redeem myself for that birth and yes. I, I really want to try all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was Andrea. <laughs> uh, yes, for sure. Yeah, for so sure. when you talk about wanting to redeem yourself, you mm-hmm. obviously need a successful VBAC. How mm-hmm. Are there, are there any things as a provider that you have seen that people have actually done that have increased their success in a VBAC? That was my question. Oh, <laughs> well, look Good at question. So I would say find a provider that's going to be patient, number one, aka midwives. So how, 
AKA there's lots of physicians that are very um, supportive of Tolax too. So how do you find a physician? Because like, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? Mm -hmm. Um, word of mouth is, is number one, I think. And there's lots of mom support groups out there. There's, you know, I can, and those kind of things that, that do, um, you'll also find people that are very biased one way or another, um, Mm -hmm. about certain groups. So my recommendation is always like, go in and do like a meet and greet appointment and just be like, what is your success rate? You know, what are your thoughts on induction after 40 weeks? Because there are a lot of physicians that will agree to, yeah, I'll let you trial labor, but once you're 40 weeks, they're like, oh, you're not laboring, you know? So have those discussions earlier, early. So there's no surprise as to like, I'll, I'll let you go to 41 weeks, but then at 41 weeks, we need to induce you with you knowing that maybe at 39 weeks, even though it may require an induction or say 40, Mm -hmm. um, obviously we'd love for your body to go in into labor naturally, but say 40 weeks, maybe your, your odds are better if we go a little bit earlier, as long as the provider is patient, like that is key. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. That is key. So searching around, it was, I would go to like meet and greets with people that would suggest it was word of mouth. I just asked people and I went to a couple meetings. I remember actually coming home from one provider meeting and bawling because I was like, I can't find anyone that's Mm -hmm. going to let me do this. And the closest that I got before I actually found the provider that allowed me to do this, um, he was like, yeah, I'm comfortable with this. If you go in on your own before 40 weeks Mm -hmm. and at 40 weeks, we will do a repeat cesarean. Mm -hmm. I will induce you. Um, and it's just interesting to me, like that some providers will say yes, induction is safe. And some providers are like, no induction is not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just, I guess it depends on your comfort level. Like what, how you, what you believe and how you read like the statistics and the research and then your comfort level of it in the end. Right. Yeah. And there are some providers that will say some in our office, even that if it is safe for a vaginal birth, so you don't have a placenta previa where the placenta is over the uterus, you don't have an accreta where the placenta is like into the uterine wall. You don't have, I can't even think of anything else off the top of my head. Those are the big ones I can think of. An induction can be, you know, an okay, you know, procedure to assist in getting this baby delivered vaginally. Um, even th- there are some providers that will deliver a breech baby. Now, this is even going further back. You've had <laughs> to have a prior C- or a prior vaginal birth. Yeah. My situation. Okay. Perfect situation where vaginal birth, breech baby, and then my trial. And I, for a while, my third was a breech baby quite a, quite a bit of his pregnancy. And so I was like, what if he's breached? Can I try labor with Mm -hmm. a breech baby? And it's not a contraindication. If you would have been able to have a breech delivery, should your baby had, you know, you wouldn't have had that C-section in between. If that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So every provider is different. And, and that's what we work really hard to facilitate those kind of like hard questions and like, well, let's, let's just see, let's see what, you know, what they want or don't want. So, yeah. so provider on board mm-hmm. is the, is the first step mm-hmm. to your TOLAC and yes. hopefully VBAC. <laughs> right. And then, um, other things that you can do one, if it's like, we know it was a baby of size last time, like I said, we'd put you on a low carbohydrate diet 
from day one um at like say it was a breech kiddo we get you in the chiropractor right away we start those exercises right away um you know third trimester ish is what i mean by right away obviously i'm chiropractor all the time but um (laughs) it does help so we do those kind of things we do some special stretches you know towards the end if that was the -hmm. breech situation if it was a um fetal malposition like a head you know the baby's head was positioned kind of funky then we'll we'll also do some exercises that way some you cannot control no matter what you do you cannot control and adding the stress of like oh the baby's just the head is in the wrong position is just increasing cortisol and decreasing your chances for success so you just have to, I would say, let go and let God control mm-hmm. what you can control. And the rest, you just have to, it just, it'll happen how it's, how it's meant to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, I think then, patience for mom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. providers should have patience, but mom should have patience. That was, that was truly something hard. Like I was like, I was 40 weeks in like two days and I was like, oh my gosh, my baby's never going to come. I should just have like another C-section. I don't want to, you know, this is going to be terrible. And then like mm-hmm. my baby came like the next day. And- right. <laughs> it's so true. You just, I think that goes back to that initial anxiety of how your first, first birth went down is yeah. oh, by this time I was already laboring. I haven't labored yet. My risk, you know, my, my chances are going down the longer I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Like, Patience is key. I agree. Um, and for all birth, every kind of birth, whether it's a repeat, a TOLAC, a initial baby, your fifth baby, Mm -hmm. trust the person that you picked to take care of you. Trust that we a hundred percent know your desire. We know what you want. Our goal is your goal. I would never go try to go against your goal to get you a different outcome ever in my life. Like my goal is your goal. Sometimes I have to veer off the plan that we had because I am trying to do what's best for you and your baby. And -hmm. sometimes that's not what you want, but it's necessary to get the end goal to be the same or not the same, but the, you know, whatever's most successful and most safe for you and your baby. So trust who you picked to provide for you and trust that we will not lead you down a path that is not, you know, going to be the outcome that is meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's your provider that is the only person (laughs) that like believes in your ability to give birth, especially for a cesarean mom. Like you have, you, you lost, you lose it. Like you lose Mm -hmm. the thinking process that your body can actually give birth. Right. And your provider knows from all these years of training and education and seeing and experience that, Mm -hmm yes, your body can give birth in the right circumstances, you know, anybody right. body can in the right. right circumstances. And so, you know, sometimes it's, if your provider says everything's fine, like trust that as well. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're <laughs> not going to lie to you. No. <laughs> no. And if I say like, we've been doing this forever and you, we have tried every single thing in our power to get this baby out vaginally. It's not going to happen. Believe me when I say I've tried everything in my power. Like I have tried every single thing in my power. It's nothing you did wrong. It's nothing we did wrong. Sometimes it's not meant to be that way. Sometimes the baby needs to have a different type of birth. Yes. And that's how I've had to like come to terms with my, with my C-sections. Like 
that's the that's the that's their story like that's how they were supposed to be here it's not what I wanted and that's yes a thousand times over I would have a c-section for my babies a million times over if it meant their safety right I think it's not what I like just cut me open I don't even need right you know between that and my baby not being here oh for sure yes a hundred percent I would pick that but it's not what I wanted and but I've had to be like you know what but that was Graham's story that's what he was supposed to do and he it's kind of funny now that he's gonna be our little place kicker and you know but (laughs) but I had to I mean he's almost two I had to like I've had to like really work through that because it's not what I wanted but I a hundred percent trusted my providers and they knew like this is not it's not gonna work so yeah it's funny because my youngest and your oldest have a similar story and that both of them are the only ones that came out vaginally. Yeah. And we were talking about this just the other day. And, uh, my son's oh. name is Lincoln. And he goes, I came out of where? Yeah. Gross. Like he was so disgusted by it. The other two were like, ha ha, we didn't have to come out of there. Oh, you know? So they don't my, care. <laughs> oh no. And my oldest is always like, mom, you pushed me out. Right. Like I'm the only one that you pushed out. And, and then Hudson and, or Marin and Graham had to come out of your tummy. And I'm like, yep, that's just exactly right. That's yep. your story. And then they, you know, of course they were like, we want to, well, can we see where we, can we see your scar mom? You know, they want to oh. all the things, but yes, it is. It is a process that you just have to, you know, mourn or not mourn and be, I mean, excited and like really right. work through those things together. And anyway, right. That's my biggest thing is that yeah. we would, you pick us for a reason. We would never, or you, you pick your provider for a reason. We would Absolutely. never lead you astray. We work really hard to, to do what you want. And sometimes just, it just doesn't work out how it should. And if it does, we cheer a lot. You're like, <laughs> dang, we did it. We did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You did it. We were here, but you did it. Yeah. So one thing that was a rumor when I was trying for my VBAC was whether or not you could or could not have an epidural, mm-hmm. like some like thought process was you needed to have an epidural oh, in yeah. case you need to go back for a quick cesarean. And some was like, no, you can't have an epidural because you need to feel if mm-hmm. your uterine ruptures. So like, is there a right or wrong? Are they both okay? Like what's the thought process there? Yep. A hundred percent, whatever you want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we yes, like that answer. <laughs> yes. You, um, it does not increase your risk for cesarean by getting an epidural one, mm-hmm. two, if you have a C-section and you're having a uterine rupture, there's a lot of things that tell us that that's going on. One is the baby usually doesn't tolerate labor. Two is you, no matter what we give you for, for pain, will have excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. So the one uterine rupture that I can, and I can actually think of, um, no matter what, we could not get her right side comfortable. Mm. And it was a very much a red flag. And then um, the bleeding started. And so then we knew like, hey, this is not, this yeah. is not going the way we wanted to go. And everything was beautiful and fine and, and worked out really well. But um, there's a lot of things that tell us that, you know, something's, something's not going right. Um, and having an epidural, by all means, it's, it's your choice as to what you want to do for pain control. Mm. Um, but it does not increase your risk for cesarean. So one of the risks of a VBAC we talked about is uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. Like that's like the, the, the big one of yeah. why people are nervous yeah. or comfortable with it. Um, what does that look like? And if that does happen to you, what's the rate of like you, you and baby still working out and being all mm-hmm. hunky-dory? Mm-hmm. So what it looks like in labor is your, you have 
usually diffuse pain across your entire lower abdomen. Um, you will often have increase in bleeding and your baby will also tell us like, Hey, um, this is not, my environment is not real stellar right now. And my heartbeat looks like that. Um, we also can tell from the inside because as the uterus opens, if you think about the baby's like being down in the pelvis and the uterus is sitting inside of there, but as the uterus opens the baby's head or shoulder or arm or back starts to go into the abdominal cavity versus being inside the uterine cavity. Mm -hmm. And we have what's called loss of fetal station. So Mm -hmm. where the baby is in the pelvis is that say you're like five, a hundred zero station. So that station piece is where the kiddo's head is in reference to the pelvic inlet or outlet. Um, And as the dehiscence or the opening of the uterus occurs, the fetal station is lost. So Typically, you don't have loss of fetal station in labor ever, unless there's something going on with the uterine anomaly. The baby is, you know, somehow, okay, that's not, occasionally they've had like changed their position of their head. So it feels a little bit different, but typically you only have that loss of fetal station with a uterine rupture. Yeah. So that is because the baby can now go back up essentially because it's going into a a uterine scar. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um. And so if you ever have loss of fetal station in with a TOLAC or a VBAC, it's a very big red flag and something okay. that we don't take lightly at all. So if that does happen to yeah. you, you catch it, then what? Um, so then as midwives, we call in the physician that is your, is your backup. Yeah. Um, and typically that the only way for delivery there is a cesarean, a repeat yeah. then. Um, so we go back to the operating room, make sure you're nice and comfortable, providing it's not an emergency. Okay. Um, if we know that something's going on, baby is not looking great and we have to hurry, mm-hmm. then it's a faster process. Yeah. Um, and if you have an epidural, we use that for your repeat C-section. If you did not have an epidural and it's a true emergency, then that would require a general anesthetic and putting you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go and actually do the cesarean. Um, and most babies do really well. Kiddos that have a true uterine rupture are and that are like into the abdomen, um, about 6% of those babies will not survive. Okay. So even though your risk is super low for that to happen, if it's a true uterine rupture, it can be catastrophic. In the world of 6% doesn't seem like a lot, but it, when it's your kiddo, you know, it's, right. it's a, that's why it's so recommended that these, these things like a TOLAC and VBAC be done in a setting where we can have a baby out really fast. Right. Um, 1% of moms will die from this complication of a uterine rupture. Okay. Um, so even though their risk is really low for it to occur, 1% of them, it does. And that's mostly because of hemorrhage and blood loss. Yeah. Um, we just can't, those situations, I'm guessing it's not written in the, in the literature, but are um, n- when you can't get access to emergency care. Yeah. Um, so you have a like 0.3 to 0.8 like risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so not even full 1%. Not yet. a 1%. Yeah. Yep. Not a one, less than 1% chance of this occurring. And if mm-hmm. it does happen to be, you are the lucky winner of that less than 1% chance. You have a roughly 6% chance of baby not making it and uh-huh. a 1% chance of you not making it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, 
really, we're really successful, you know, yeah. but there's risk there. And that has got, we go over that a lot in the office. And that's why we have, when you see one of the surgeons, one of the OB doctors yeah. at that 28 week mark, so they can actually go through risk. Mm-hmm. Um, they do use a thing um, called a calculator uh, or they use a calculator. Yeah. Well- is that it like actual like evidence base or it's like helpful? So it's helpful. I would not say that it, it is recommend. I mean, there, it is a run there is put on by ACOG, which is American oh, Academy okay. of Gynecologists. Yeah. They okay. do. I didn't they know do, that it actually was put on by I didn't yeah, either. They, they have the OB or they have the, the calculator in their um, literature. Yeah. Um, but it does factor in things like, have you had a successful vaginal birth before? Because that increases your odds immensely. Right. What was your reason for your last C-section? Do you have, are you obese? Do you have diabetes? So all the, of those things. Calculator is kind of like a bishop score for. Essentially. Oh, yeah, right. That's for your cervix, but yeah. this is for your, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. not, it's not like. Yes, it should help you look at your odds and, you know, is this something I want to actually try? Because if yeah. my, my chance is still low, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. Right. But it does just throw out a number because people like numbers and percentages. Um, but it should not be 100% what you make your decision based okay. on. Yeah. In my opinion. And also. now do all providers use calculators to help them figure out like... Um, to give you a number or is that like mm-hmm. a like provider specific? I think it would, I'd say provider specific. I can, I know a couple in our office that do, um, but I can't tell you that all of them do. Yeah. Do yeah, you guys I, use a calculator with your VBACs? We don't, we don't at all use a calculator. It's, we kind of leave that up to the, the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I told you, there's rarely a time that we're like, no, I don't think you should try, yeah. you know? If you want to every try situation and, is so different. Yeah. If you want to try and you're willing to do it, you know, as safe yeah. as possible with us, like, shoot, let's try to have a birthday party. Yeah. Not in the percent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. true. Yeah. There's a lot of information, very beneficial, especially for those who are considering this or maybe, um, you know, about ready. Yeah. To- I guess we could say just real quick, like the benefits of a VBAC versus, I mean, I think they're pretty obvious, but, um, obviously it's, you know, usually a shorter recovery, um, your, you know, the pain is less. So once again, recovery, (laughs) people tend to have, so the biggest, you know, risk during a big surgery is to mom, um, and babies, the risk for vaginal birth is low. Um, so you kind of have to look at that too. Yes. It's a major surgery. Now, if I'm worried about your kiddo getting stuck on the way out, then the risk for a major surgery is way less than the risk of a kiddo getting stuck on the way out. So we have to also play in, in, you know, those things into account. And um, people that have a C-section do have an increased risk for like fever, infection, you know, post-op concerns where we don't really see that with OB, with um, vaginal birth. So like with a scar comes scar tissue. Yeah. So does that affect further pregnancies? Not pregnancies. No scar tissue doesn't have an effect on pregnancies, but it does affect, um, subsequent surgery. Mm. So anytime you enter the abdomen, um, for any kind of surgery, 
scar tissue forms and adhesions form. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those adhesions um, allow or make the bladder kind of attached to the uterine wall or the abdominal wall. So when you've had multiple C-sections, it does take longer to get in and um, there could be increased risk for bowel and bladder injury because of that um, adhesions that are there. Um, I guess I didn't say in our, in our practice, should you have to go to the OR? Um, we as midwives go to. So we usually first assist with the procedure. Um, if they've had multiple, you know, surgeries and say they just came because they want to have a repeat C-section and I love the midwives and I just want to stay with midwives. We're still there. There's occasion to, or occasionally times when the physician wants another surgeon there, which we totally get. Um, so then we just hang out and take fun pictures and act as a doula. <laughs> so yes we do have patients that want a repeat they know they want to repeat they've had three priors but they still see us for ob care and then we have one of our physicians do their surgery but we're there with them for that too that's awesome yeah yeah so now then with multiple c-sections like is there a point where people like providers will not do another c-section because it's just not like good for mom like does it yeah. kind of limit how many kids you can have and you're like I want to be the next Duggars like yeah like is there a point at which you're just like you you just can't you're gonna lose your uterus I can't tell you like factually what the number would be I do know that four to five gets thrown out often like yeah um that is what I've heard a lot of physicians throw out like, Hey, it's your fourth C-section. We just, the lower uterine segment of the uterus gets super thin. And so it's hard for that, that tissue to continue to stay together. Um, and your risk just increases every C-section that you have. Um, so I've heard four to five thrown out. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, like the liter what the literature will tell you. Have you ever seen a physician at mid city or anywhere do a VBAC after three C-sections? No. Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> I haven't. Not at Mid-City for sure. And not uh, when I was at the Med Center. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There might have been one situation at Methodist where that did happen, but it wasn't one of, with one of our docs yeah. that I know of. Yeah, it's very, I think two is kind of like the, this yeah. is it. This is, this is your last year. And ACOG will even tell you that, I mean, it says in their statement, which I saw today, that women um, that have had one to two prior, it just says on their ACOG selection criteria for VBAC candidates. Mm-hmm. And the top line says one or two prior low transverse cesarean deliveries. Mm-hmm. So it includes the two, two. in there. Yep. Right. Yeah. And specifically doesn't include the three. Right. <laughs> we right. cut it off here. Yes. Yeah. The other thing th- too is you can't have a previous uterine rupture, like obviously. Yeah. Um, women that do sometimes it is ruptured so bad that they can't put it back together. And that requires um, obviously hysterectomy at the time. Yeah. So overall, risk-wise, if you're wanting a VBAC, mm-hmm. find a provider to talk mm-hmm. to that you trust and yes. go over the benefits and the risks of both options and together kind of decide your game plan for this birth. Yes. And continue to do the things that you do with every pregnancy. You eat a well-balanced diet, you continue exercising, you move your body, you do all the things that we'll recommend, whether you want to TOLAC or repeat a first baby, a fifth baby, same things all the time. Yeah. Do the things that will make you most healthy and that will increase your odds as well. 
Awesome. Yay. Well, yeah. Thank you, seriously, so much for hopping on. You're welcome. I thank yeah, you for having have, me. Yes, we cannot wait to have you back again. You are yes. a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so excited for the Omaha community and just the world mm-hmm. around to really understand birth and what midwives are and how they're so beneficial to the pregnant population. So, yes. yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Have All a right. good rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.